0: What's up, Caleb?
1: What's up, Ben? How's it How going? You doing? It's great. Doing well. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to it's a pleasure to talk to you, Ben. I just wanna, you know, lead out and say that that I've followed you for a long time. Um, and like one of the first places I worked at, you got on my radar because you, you worked at Thoughtbot. Like I don't know what your position was at ThoughtBot. And that was one of my first like pillars of of programming people at the time was like oh and i was scouring the blog posts on thoughtbot and just every blog post was like this is the content i'm here for i just wanted to lead with that set it up i appreciate that that's awesome
0: yeah those were those were good days i think i I built a lot of my audience during that period so there's a lot of people who basically know me because of or sort of through thoughtbot
1: yeah i mean now surely that's not the case right uh like tuple is like on the map is someone on the map, yeah, but I, I think, a, yeah, it's hard to say. A,
0: a lot of people do mention the thoughtbot but days, yeah. so mm-hmm. I think that was th- the seeds were definitely there. Cool, yeah. So um, I'm stoked to talk to you um, about some code and kind of go deep and some of that stuff. Me and too. it seems like this is, it seems like you have made yourself a life of mostly focusing on code. Yeah, like you're doing, a, you seem to support yourself through open source contributions plus like some paid educational products around those open source tools. Um, and, but I'm guessing you spend 80%
1: of your professional time writing code, maybe more. Yeah. Uh, I think it's pretty much all, it's pretty much all writing code. It's, but it's not all open source code. So Mm. like the open source stuff, I don't know. I lately I've been spending like the first 3 hours of my day like pull request maintenance and stuff and then the rest is I'm usually developing something in the background to release at Laracon. That's usually how it goes. So it's usually like a new version of the open source tools. So maybe it is open source, it's just like a private branch or in this case it's more of like a product thing that I'm working on um So, yeah, but it is all code. And sometimes I I do a lot of screencasting to support the work. Like, that's where a lot of the revenue comes from for me. And that is still, like, so there is a lot of screencasting and content production. But the majority of the work there is actually me writing the code for the screencast and, like, honing it and really kind of figuring it out. The screencasts are very code-oriented. You buy the video and the source code. So, it's, like, you know. So, yes, I code a lot, Ben. And it makes me happy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, you—it's. I think this is. It seems like you're maybe living a life that a lot of developers want, which is that you are. It seems like pretty independent, and you get to work on your open source things and get paid for that, and you seem pretty happy with this
1: life. I am definitely happy with it. Um, Yeah, I def. I'm like reaching. I'm trying to build bigger. I want more. I've decided that. Like, I'm not just happy to have the like lifestyle independent developer life I I want more. I don't know what that looks like, but I just know that mm. I want more. So um yes, but but I am absolutely happy with it in the sense that pretty much every day I do I do what I want to do, which a lot of times is what I should do, you know, not necessarily things. How do I put this? As you know, it's like when you're independent, you're working on stuff you want to work on, but you're also doing stuff you don't want to do that you know is good for you, that you should do. Mm. So there's a lot of that, but um but yeah, I think I've I've got like a decent life going on here, um, and I'm just really grateful that it it works out that way. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So do you want to maybe
0: start with just like a quick description of? It seems like your two the two big things are Alpine and Livewire. That's yeah. like where I think most of your time are,
1: is going. Yeah. Pretty much all my time. Everything is Livewire and Alpine. Yep.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And do you want to maybe elevator pitch those things for us real quick?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, so actually now it's easier to pitch Livewire because everybody knows about HTMX but mm. ht like htmx inspired me early on when i was at titan um, i was like i was writing a lot of like vue spas for the past like maybe 3 years at the time and getting kind of getting kind of bitter about it like just like ah oh, there i actually almost got fired from a job because it took me a week to do a file upload cuz i didn't even know what like form i even forget now like what you know like uploading a file before spas is just like input type file and you know code igniter just knew what to do with that or whatever but Mm -hmm. anyway so there were moments like that where i just had these awakening moments and then i was reading like dhh's uh i mean you know all this stuff i i just read from the outside because i was never a rails guy but the like um js over i don't forget what what he used to call it um that pattern but anyway like Unobtrusive JavaScript, maybe. Is that what you no, mean? it's something. It's like um, it was like JavaScript over the wire, but like sending JavaScript to gotcha. you know like the browser to execute over Ajax, like things like that. Um, yeah, server sent JavaScript or something, whatever. Um, but also sending HTML partials was something that that I had like discovered in the Rails community and Pjax and like Turbo Links and whatever, and just sort of realizing that like this pattern, and then I found Intercooler which is now HTMX. He just renamed it. And so I started using Intercooler and it's just like fetching HTML and really fell in love with the pattern and and then the Phoenix Live View came out and I was like, this is that taken to the next level. And I was, I want to do that for Laravel. Um, And that's been LiveWire ever since. Um, So I guess for people who don't know any of the frameworks or patterns I just mentioned, um, LiveWire is like, it's in the Laravel framework, and when you're using Laravel, it allows you to stay in the back end but create dynamic interfaces. So like you can, say, wire click on a button, and the method that, that gets called when that wire click happens is a back end method instead of just like a front end click listener that calls a front end JavaScript method. It's literally like a PHP class that you can hmm. access state and methods in both the front end and the back end. So Interesting.
0: So I can say when you click this button yeah. on the front end, make a request to the back end, run this particular method, yep. take the results of that and stick it in here, or maybe even execute it. Is it is it coming back as like data or JavaScript? Right. Or so this like is what? this
1: is the really integrated part. So the let's say like if you wanted to build a counter in LiveWire. You wouldn't, because why would you send network requests to build a counter? But okay, you want to build a counter in LiveWire. You have a back end class called counter that has state. So like a public property called count and then a method mm. called increment on that class. And then you have a view that correlates with that class. So it for us, it's in a render method in the class, but whatever, you have a backend template like ERB or blade mm. in Laravel. And that template is just a normal view like from a controller that you pass properties into and you can echo out things in the backend. So you could say like an H1 tag echo out count that count property as a normal backend variable. Does this make sense? So totally mm-hmm. think about almost just like a controller and a view, just sending data and then echoing it into the view. Um, and then you'd have a button that says wire click increment. And wire click increment is just an HTML attribute on the button. Okay. Do we have the setup? You got that locked in? I think so. Yeah. Yep. Is there any hole or any, what, what's the little tiniest bit of not clarity for you? <laughs>
0: Let me try to say it back to you and, and see if I've got it so far. Great. Uh, we're wiring up a button. Yep. There exists a back-end class that does the increment and stores the data in RAM somewhere in some sort Don't of Don't even like worry about variable. where the data is stored. Just, okay. just the f- experience. But it's not, it's not on the front end. It's not. The it's data's on the back-end class. Is yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, well, that's what we're getting at. Yeah. And so, yeah. So we have something that's going to fire when I click this button that's going to increment on the back-end and then something's going to flow back to the front end somewhere and show me the new state?
1: Yeah. Yep, basically. So so the experience of it, again, is just like almost like a controller, um, except you have state, like properties and methods instead of just methods. And there's a view that correlates. You have a button, wire click increment. When somebody clicks that button on the front end, a network request gets sent to the back end with the last known state. So that's how the state gets transferred. It's like a snapshot. Mm -hmm. So this little snapshot of state gets sent to the back end, it hydrates that class, calls your method like increment, which bumps count to two, re-renders that HTML view, and then sends back the new snapshot of data, the latest snapshot, along with the latest HTML. And then in the front end, that new snapshot gets held for the next time, and that new HTML gets morphed onto the page. So it's like kind of like virtual DOM, but not virtual. It's like DOM diffing, like walking and finding... Like, okay, this div's the same. Oh, this H1 has a different text content. Let's mutate the current H1 on the page to the the last known H1. So the experience on the front end is that when you're writing code, you feel like you're writing back end code. When you're using it, you feel like you're using front end code. Um, Hmm. Yeah, but which is very similar to HTMX. It just has, it does a lot more of the glue for you. So you're not creating bespoke endpoints and such or manually sending the HTML. It's really declarative in that sense. You're sort of, Declaring a state and and a view and a template. And then yeah. So that's Livewire Very similar to Phoenix Live view, if anybody's familiar with that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, cool. That's the pitch. And then Alpine is the JS sprinkles that I wrote for LiveWire, but turns out it's like really useful outside of LiveWire in vanilla Rails apps. It's useful even in Hotwire, it's useful in HTMX. So it sort of gained wider adoption because it's for me, it's like uh, like the modern jQuery. It's like a JS sprinkles framework that just you can throw in a CDN and all of a sudden have a lot of power to make drop downs and popovers and whatever, all sorts of stuff, modals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. That's the so interesting. I, 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 I like
0: more or less retired from web development right okay. before all of this stuff like started happening okay it's like i was like just as like javascript was like kind of taking off like like do you remember
1: backbone by any chance
0: yeah like when backbone was kind of like ascending was like about when i like stepped out of the gotcha. day that's early JavaScript days that's
1: land. really that's like pre-react era
0: yeah yeah absolutely like and so every time yeah, i like yeah. i'm talking you know modern javascript i'm like i am out of my depth i gotcha. haven't touched this in funny, so long yeah i'm just so used
1: yeah. to like everybody knows everything know. about you know the current landscape but that's that's funny uh, totally yeah yesterday
0: i was talking to somebody that works at Duple uh, as a younger guy and when i told him like my my level of javascript knowledge he was like oh wow you are old <laughs> It like wasn't until he understood where I, I stopped JavaScripting that he like appreciated just quite how ancient I was. That's great.
1: Well, if, if you're ever looking for like a fun time, just like peruse all the stuff that exists now that jQuery used to have to do for us. It's so nice. It's like mm. JavaScript's like decent now. Nice. You know, yeah. Yeah. You... Last you knew, it wasn't that decent.
0: It was not that decent. That's sort of that's sort of still how it is cached in my brain. Yeah. It's just like this sort of like mm, I don't know if this is for me yeah Uh, it's better and like i don't know that i've been sold that it actually is for me like it still seems like kind of crazy as i like peek at it from a distance um but i'm glad you're digging it
1: yeah Yeah. you know
0: and uh, you you know more than i do
1: maybe about javascript ben
0: yeah yeah all right so let's talk about coding a little bit yeah cool if i saw some code and said
1: oh man caleb definitely wrote this hmm what would I be talking about? What would I have seen? I think what people would say, like maybe one one tiny little ism is like really short or absurdly long method names. Like, oh, interesting. Uh-huh. Like a method name or a variable name that's like a f- complete sentence that has like 15 words. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and that that's like kind of a philosophy of mine is like the name should either be incredibly short because it's so obvious in its context or it should be incredibly long so that there's no like question about it at all, you know. Yeah.
0: I like that a lot. I think people are like overly afraid of long names in right. programming.
1: There's like no harm at all. I guess the only harm is you lose some of that um easy like aesthetic, but that that's why you make try to make things single word and if if they're double word maybe you can extract maybe it's I don't I've always been fascinated how naming can kind of give you smells about your code like Totally. You have all these contextual names and you're like, "Oh, well, if I actually put this in a class or a separate file, I just remove the prefix on all those things, you know?" Yeah, um, yeah. So that's the ultimate goal. But if you can't like just make that big fat method name, you know? Yeah. I love that. I'm
0: I think this is like is a good example of sort of like a philosophy of mine, which is as much as you can getting the implicit knowledge in the code to be explicit yeah so there's a lot of times right. like people will explain a method to me and be like oh well like this does this as long as this and i'm like great let's tack on as long as this Right. the <laughs> method name
1: yes right yes those are those are the kinds of prefixes that i you know i, I don't want to say it's all over my code because again i'm i'm trying for these i'm trying for for really sleek like minimal stuff but mm. but definitely as long as or doing this until or ensure this is you know things like that um that kind of like describe more about you know i I guess like ensure is like a favorite of mine like for you know instead of having like a conditional guard clause at the top that forks the logic in something just having like a method at the top that's like ensure the file exists or something and then continue the flow as normal um Mm. i don't know that that's kind of besides the point but ensure is like a name that i like that also like introduces a pattern that i like i don't know but yeah, yeah totally. it's like
0: it, it kind of feels like the short really short names are like your reward mm. for having done a nice job on your design yeah and like gotten good names into other places so that you can like so, so that it is unambiguous when you see like uh like execute or
1: something like some sort of name like that right yeah exactly yep here's, a, here's an example of of something that I did for fun. I, so I rewrote LiveWire last year, like a full code base rewrite from from mm. scratch. It took way too long, mm. like a year and a half. We gotta and, talk about that. Yes, we should. Um, but there was one file or one feature that I felt like I couldn't crack. Like I couldn't I couldn't like do it well. I couldn't separate things properly enough and whatever. So it, it was actually it's basically a turbolinks feature. I added that to LiveWire. So I mean, you're familiar with Turbolinks and PJAX? I can't remember what it does anymore. That is so funny, Ben. To me, (laughs) you're like the Rails guy that I can... Like most people, I can't just drop these Rails references. They don't know what I'm talking about. But Ben surely knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) I remember, like, I think it was like partial page reloading. Was that what that was? Basically, like uh, GitHub pretty much still uses it. But Turbolinks hijacks all the A tags on the page. And then instead of doing full page navigations, they AJAX that whole Mm -hmm. page... And they just sub out the body and then splice in any, you know, head like scripts and links or yeah, and styles. And then it just basically is a full page change and you don't have to do anything on the server to account for this. That's why it's so beautiful. But mm. it speeds up page transitions by like light years because it doesn't have to tear down everything and reboot it all. Um, mm-hmm. Whatever. Let, let me teach you about modern Rails. Uh, let me teach you it's about great. let me teach you about legacy Rails, but nobody you uses TurboLinks. <laughs> let me teach
0: you about <laughs> old Rails. Pjax was like controversial inside Thoughtbot am I like when as I was okay. wrapping yeah. up there. So I think we were kind of like, eh, "We don't know about this. This right. is a maybe for us." And
1: Pjax is more uh like HTMX. Like Pjax can be like partials and things that you're talking about where like Turbolinks and HotWire, like turbo drive are just kind of full page. You yeah. know. It's much less dangerous doesn't whatever. So I go to write this feature Ben, for Livewire. And I can't like crack the flow in a way that I like, like keeping things separate because everything is so related. It's just whatever. Um, So I ended up just writing it out like a sentence or like a paragraph. So if you read this code, it's literally like, this is like the first method in JavaScript. It's like when a user presses a button and then a callback that does all those things and then like a parameter in that callback, that's like, and then do this, that gets called at the end And like, and in, in that method, it's just, you could literally read it like a paragraph and it would read cohesively. Mm. Um, Yeah. I just, I don't know. I scrapped that, that like file so many times and then decided like, this is something that is so specific. I need to literally write it like a story. Um, And it remains one of the pieces of code that I like maintaining the most for some reason, because it's so obvious what everything Mm. does and you can just like at a glance you can look at the entire critical flow and just read it like a book and go oh like that's where i need to go or i can add this into that point or i don't know just a random
0: yeah. nugget for you choose. That's chore. interesting cuz that was my first que- like that'll be my was my first thought is like have you made some changes to this since then and found it malleable I've along with it. just like declarative
1: yeah it it really is a joy to maintain and i This is like, for some reason, it's an anomaly. I don't write other code like this. I haven't used it. I don't know.
0: Sounds Uh,
1: sounds like it's working. In JavaScript, it feels really natural because in JavaScript, I pretty much don't use classes or anything. It's just functions um, Mm -hmm. stored in files, which is, honestly, that's another conversation where I like, if you write functional JavaScript, it's pretty much just object orientation, except like each file is your class, all the functions that are in there are your methods. And then all the, you know, just variables that you say let, those are your properties. And you pretty much have a class, you know, um, yeah. random nugget. But uh, so in in PHP, I'm doing like object-oriented programming. And, and this kind of like callback craziness just doesn't feel as natural for some reason. I don't know. Maybe that's why I haven't written code like that in the back end.
0: Interesting. So is, is it the, like the kind of callback chaining thing? Yeah. What makes it feel like
1: you can do this kind of? I think so. I think that's Maybe. what makes it feel that way. Like that, like when I'm writing JavaScript, it's very free form and callback callbacky in that way. And in PHP, for whatever reason, I just don't write code that way. And I think it's because things are like object-oriented and more rigid. That
0: would sort of yeah. make sense to me because like with OO, you're sort of, um, I feel like the flow is not necessarily obvious. Hmm. Yeah. Like it's not clear that like A and then B and then C and then D happen. Right um a lot of the time because like any of these methods could be called by some external caller at any time the state could be kind of anything when those things are called at any time yeah but if you have like a explicit like these things are chained together in this way and right. the data is going to flow between them this way that sort of eloquence kind of interface to me makes
1: sense yep yeah i think that captures it perfectly yep i think that's why yes.
0: how do you feel about functional versus OO? any thoughts on that
1: um yeah, I I sort of I, I'm not a functional programmer. I don't know the like capital F functional programming, like fancy uh-huh. lambda stuff. Occasionally in JavaScript, I are you sure?
0: I feel like I think I feel like functional programming has like a little bit of a scary uh, reputation as being like maybe more than it is.
1: Yeah, maybe to, I'm not to sure. To me, it's
0: just like calling functions and passing data between them.
1: In that sense, I'm I'm a functional programmer. Um, yeah yeah, I guess i I don't you, you know, there's like a functional programmer uh, that that is like never writes or, or doesn't write a loop. like there's no loop. It's just recursion. like that kind sure. of functional programming is like programming I don't really do. That's like mm-hmm. pattern matching all the way down. That's not sure. my programming. Um, but when I'm writing JavaScript, it's pretty functional, and I really like it. and there are there are a lot of times where like, I'll wrap a callback in another callback and pass that around or decorate a callback with another one or even occasionally, what do you call that? Um, What's the term for basically taking a function and assigning parameters to it and then passing that as a new function? Kerning? Uh, Functional? (laughs) No, that's that's right. right. (laughs) It's functional... are
0: you talking about like partial application where you've sent in some of the arguments? It's partial application,
1: but there, whatever. There's some functional term for it, um, okay. but yes, yeah. that's what I mean, like dot bind in JavaScript where you can do that. Um, mm-hmm. And there's times where I'll I'll do things like that. and I'm like, oh, well, that's pretty functional. But <laughs> interesting. Yeah. yeah, I guess. Yeah, that feels functional. I, I
0: think to me is, I could be wrong, and maybe like the, the I think the functional programming zealots might tell me'm I'm, I'm wrong for this yeah but I feel like the, the sort of the big difference to me of like oo and functional is like do you wrap up your data and the things that operate on that data into this like bag that is a class
1: hmm. and yeah.
0: and does it have state that changes over time and like the, the sort of methods are operating on that state okay you're doing OO. and like are you creating a graph of these objects and having right. them call things to each other and pass data around cool you probably are doing OO. do you does your function, Get all of its data passed in as arguments, sure. and then return data that goes somewhere else. Yeah, you're probably doing functional programming. Yes, I feel like that's the main. Div- to me, in my head, that is the main divide.
1: I like that. I think that's a very reasonable definition. Like, that's a good handshake definition. Like, can we just like be like reasonable yeah. here and say that yeah. this is a distinction? Because I think it is a, a totally legitimate distinction, and it is. I tweeted about this the other day that I really feel like two programmers pretty much every day because in PHP, I tend towards object orientation. And in JavaScript, I almost never write a class like I've refactored out pretty much every class in Alpine. Um, And when I write JavaScript, it's just functions. It's very functional as you describe it. Um, And in PHP, it's very object oriented. And I love both. Mm. it's like I have two that's, different hats on for some reason. You no, know? no,
0: that's, you, you have to pick a side and hate the other one. That's do I? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. right. I'm pretty I sure do, that's required.
1: <laughs> right. That is the way to do this. Huh? Yeah. Um, We're programmers. We're supposed to have yeah. strong opinions about this. I, I love, I imagine like you'd feel the same. I don't know. I, I love the rigidity of object orientation um, at times. And, and mm-hmm. I also love the freeform nature of, you know, JavaScript functional programming.
0: Gotcha. What do you think? um, I think I've been kind of radicalized by Rich Hickey and Clojure and just I think I'm on the the functional programming is just tends to be simpler to understand Hmm. train um, and that it's a good idea to have data that's immutable and to pass it between functions and to not build a big graph of constantly mutating objects with internal state.
1: Yeah, I guess like mutability is one thing, and it, and it, the definition that we laid out of JavaScript doesn't always imply immutability. You know, like there, are, um, yeah. But I mean, immutability, I definitely agree is is a value. Um, it, Adam has been like working on this like Tailwind or whatever, and I'm just watching his tweets, and um, and he's like, I don't know if you saw this tweet of his that was uh, like the the noob. The, the brain and then the Jedi, you know, mm-hmm, and it mm-hmm. was like mutable temporary variables, you know, for loops, whatever. And then like the, the big brain is like immutability and, you know, pure functional, whatever. And then the Jedi is like mutability for loops. Uh, Cause you're talking about performance and, and how like immutability mm-hmm. has like memory costs and, you know, all of these function calls are costly. Like in with like deep performance, mutability is, more performant and doing like Mm. simple long functions that have like for loops instead of functional transformations and whatever is I don't know. I thought it was interesting and it is like randomly something that I have encountered with Alpine where like I try to use for loops in critical paths instead of functional transformations because they're just like cheaper. They're faster and Mm. cheaper than like everything else, you know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But I'm with you. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I can't remember if I told the story on the last pod but I uh, taught briefly at a friend's programming boot camp. And so I was exposed to, like, new developers for the first time in, like, a a while. And we gave them a programming exercise. And the goal is for them to, like, learn, like, proper object-oriented programming because they're trying to learn Ruby and Rails. Yeah. And I was surprised to learn that, like, a huge percentage of people... um, we're basically just using class methods and passing data around between them oh, and not yeah. instantiating anything and like having they no... They could be
1: like static methods in it. Yeah. Y-
0: y- exactly. They, so they were they were doing functional programming. Yeah. yeah. Like they just had like there's no, li- lo- no local instance data. They were just like taking data yeah. and throwing it into a function and then taking that and then throwing it to the next function. And it was funny because I was like, I get why you're doing this. Like it is easier to understand. Yeah, and I'm here to. I have to kind of teach you that like this is a bad habit actually in the in this paradigm that you've chosen, and like I'm going to show you how to do it in the OO way. But like, it was interesting that the kind of beginner mind to programming reached for that approach, and I was like, yeah,
1: I get it. That's, Funny, it's fair. Like that is that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Like that that's there's some sort of you're saying like this is like evidence that that not only is like it's just more intuitive. Not only is it better in in ways for like reliability it actually is more intuitive to understand and our evidence is these newcomers who just intuit but you're right that that i think that is a common thing is like i I remember early on hearing the advice like don't use static methods because there's just the temptation so many times to just have to name a function that does something and you pass stuff in and you get something out like that's the most that's like Uh basic i've like forgot about some of this stuff but in in the oob Oh, oh, oh! boot camp. It's like, stop with the statics, exactly. you know. Like, we have the blueprints of the houses with the, you know, it's like, right, exactly. The- no, you
0: need to make a class and then you need to have data locally inside that class. They need to call methods to operate on that and don't expose that data because it has to be secret and, like, right, make sure all the stuff is private and.
1: There is a lot of ceremony. Yeah, I
0: just want to like be like value equals x, and then I want to pass yeah. like this into the this first function and up and get a new thing back, and I want to pass that into the next function and get a new thing back, and yeah. then I'll have the answer. And I'm like, I, I get you. I I see why you want to do this.
1: Yes, that that's really funny. Um, because that I mean O is such a has like a steep learning curve, because of all of this extra ceremony that just isn't intuitive, and and you're just like hitting people over the head with. These like houses and car manufacturer analogies, like trying to get people to understand or to have an intuition for it, but it, yeah, it just doesn't it just doesn't map that easily. I'm trying to think of instances where I like OO um, and I do think it's better. I'm trying to think of things, and I'm a little hard pressed. Here's one. Here's one for you. So in uh, in Livewire's JavaScript there's like a request bus, you know? So if you think about like a component has to make a network request when it's updated to do that whole mm-hmm. lifecycle thing. Mm-hmm. And that that request has a whole lifecycle of its own. And there might be multiple components on a page that each need to be able to send requests, but then they potentially get bundled together into the same request if they happen at the same time to save mm-hmm. on like network resources. Mm-hmm. But their like responses need to come back in the right order and everything. So there's... There's like a there's like a bus within a bus. There's a an update bus for one component that can have multiple updates per network request, and then a request bus for multiple components. And these buses, th- these individual requests, I found these are one of the few times I broke into OO. I created a class called like one is called commit, like you're committing an update to the server, and one mm-hmm. is called request. And these have state. They have the updates that are going to the server. They have like all of OO type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they know how to turn themselves into JSON payloads and they know how to handle their response and, and all this stuff. And I found it to be like really nice and reliable instead of just free form like data flow to manage all this, you know? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So I don't know. Do so- you ever find yourself like with a heart still for objects? <laughs> um-
0: I do so much less programming now that I don't have like a great like recent answer to that. Yeah. So I, I, and like, I mean, I, I do have a love for rails. So it's like I, when I, if I need to write a web app, I'm still, I'm still going to use rails. I'm not actually going to go use like a closure web framework or something. So I guess it's kind of the, it's sort of the case where I tend to write my, uh, even like within the OO paradigm, like I tend to write my code fairly functionally. Like I'm trying to like avoid mutations or like side effects I'm trying to like have things typically be as pure as possible when I can. Yeah. but I, you know, it's like real functional programming has never been tried. It's like I in in practice, when I need to get stuff done, I'm usually just using OO. So it's um the classic hypocrisy, I think.
1: And I think to add on to your hypocrisy here, um, I I think that that functional like you saying like functional programming is easier to intuit. I totally agree and I love that point about like people just tending towards static methods. But if they went to a functional boot camp, they'd be telling them, again, they'd want to reach for a for loop and they'd be like, no, no, you can't use a for loop, you know, or they would want to like create. That's not true.
0: That's, it's not that, I I wouldn't say that like for loops are banned in functional programming.
1: I mean, isn't there languages that don't have a loop? Like I'm trying to think of, is it like Elm like doesn't have a loop? Um, Elm might not, yeah. Maybe Elixir, I don't know. Hmm. But yeah, like the, they'd be like, there's no loops. You have to call like, or maybe it's an elixir. Like you would call a, a class method, and then that method would call itself until the parameters change and it would match a different method, and that's the exit out of the sure. loop. And yeah, then yeah. they have to understand recursion and like, and <laughs> having ensuring there are cases where the where there's a an exit for the recursion, and that's its mm. own level of, you know, and. Uh, That whatever the like all the names like tuples and um, tuples (laughs) and uh, uh, yeah Yeah. parameter assignment and lambdas and whatever those other funny words are that no one understands thunks yeah thunks the. I don't know, but anyway, I'm sure there's like a whole other ceremony that if they went to the functional boot camp, they'd be like, yeah, "What yeah. is this? I just want to write oh, a no class," doubt. you know? Yeah, and
0: I don't think like, "Oh, beginners understand this really fast" is actually a great argument for programming language design. Okay, you know, it's like it's like a it's a it's a factor. Interesting. Like ease of ease of adoption is one thing, but really, I think you actually want per, like intermediates to experts to be extremely productive, and that's yeah. kind of the better like score to grade on. So yes for sure newbies would trip up on on other on new things different things most likely
1: so um, how do you feel about like C family languages like all of these you know PHP and JavaScript and things that are like C family that have all the stuff we know you know like functions and uh, variables and you know things like that where these functional languages are I would consider them not C family languages do you think that like that at a certain level, a code base is harmed or a programmer is harmed by some of the offerings of a C family language? I guess it, uh, I'm not sure. So
0: like if, if we're talking like malloc level things, like when you say, I don't like do you know if, what
1: malloc is.
0: Yeah. It's, it's memory allocation in C. Like oh, Mal-
1: like, okay. That's one of those words that I've only read the spelling, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like um, I used to say tutorial, like random stuff like that. Oh, interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so like, I think there were design choices made that have caused like innumerable bugs, like nil being a thing, for example, is like you oh. know, the the trillion dollar design mistake. I would people say, and I agree with um, me- manual memory management. You know, if, if you really need it, sure, but it's pretty pretty error prone. Um, so yes, there's there's lots of sharp edges. I'm not here to say that everything should be written in functional functional languages. Right. I just think if I my forever language is definitely functional. Yeah. I think um, for me, for like the things that I want to do generally, nice. um, or like sort of like my, my retirement language, like what I will like retire to write my beautiful, uh, yeah. conceptually pure, um, satisfying to my brain and my soul kind of code is going to be yeah. in some sort of functional language, probably a Lisp, because there's some wonderful things about those languages. But yeah, I don't need to like have everyone agree with me or like right. do that too for all their work.
1: I will say that I'm like acutely aware of how how often I step on the rake of like calling blank on undefined or some you know something like that. How those yeah. nulls and undefines leak into my runtime yeah. code in both PHP and JavaScript is kind of alarming. And and I think some of it is just um, you're so used to it that you don't identify it as like a problem that's avoidable. Like there are languages that don't have runtime errors. It definitely don't have runtime errors like that, you know.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, At least that one. Yeah. Yeah. And that that one's like kind of a solved problem in like in certain languages, which is the thing where it's like you know if if you if you have an optional type that you always have to unwrap, you will never accidentally like blow up in that way. Right. And that's pretty. That's pretty nice. That's a pretty good like win right there. And so to just to not just not have that supported at a language level is kind of like that's too bad. Yep yeah mutability right. feels similar like or like immutable data structures i think also prevent a big class of errors um yep so it's so there There are things that i think are are nice to have so that it's too bad that aren't everywhere
1: yeah i i think i agree and i don't i don't consider myself like an academic programmer i very much feel like i'm surfing like i'm just kind of taking it as it comes and doing what feels right and i think mm-hmm. sometimes that um probably benefits me and sometimes it harms me by not like really exploring or like being um, rigorous about some of the like rakes I'm stepping on, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, I want to hit you with some uh, some questions. Let's do it. Some some one-offs. All right. Let's, how do you start something complicated? If you're like build like building something hard, you're not quite sure how it's going to look. Are you a prototype? Do you like start with a prototype? Do you build a small sandbox example? Do you sketch on a whiteboard? Do you have a notebook with words or diagrams? how do you start getting the lay of the land and figuring out like how to make progress?
1: Um, it's all of the above. I think, uh, I, yeah, I, I'm very like sporadic and inconsistent in my approach to that kind of thing. Um, cause it's really like what, what feels, what feels like I have the best chance of, of getting to the hard parts, I guess, and, and like, uh, rooting out some clarity in the obscurity. Hmm. Um, so I always have a notebook on my desk And I found like this. I've gone through a bunch of different techniques over the years. I've realized pen and paper is crucial uh, Mm. to my everyday. Mm. And I used to have just stacks of paper everywhere, and so that was pretty unwieldy. So I I bought like a paper roll to put to like mount on my desk and just pull up like butcher paper, and then my whole desk is a piece of paper. Yeah, because like whiteboards, they're uh, for a handful of reasons. They just haven't worked for me And making a whole desk, a whiteboard. I've done that. Like, Ikea has, like, a whiteboard table that I've used as a desk in the past. Yeah. Um, So this I I really like. And the coolest part is you keep a a ledger of everything you've written. So all these little, like, notes and to-dos as you pull more slack. In a perfect world, you have a second roll that you roll up. Yeah. But I just have, like, you know, 50 feet of paper. (laughs) Wow. But like last month, I, I decided that this is too messy and there's too much paper in my office. So I've just switched to a notebook, uh, just a spiral like up uh, pad. I'm,
0: I'm sad. That was such a cool idea. I love that. I know.
1: And it, and it was nice because you could get that feeling of like a beautiful clean desk and workspace and thought space every time you pull off like yeah. another chunk. But I yeah, couldn't get the so infrastructure good. dialed in and I was too lazy to like do it well.
0: This is an indie business waiting to happen.
1: Honestly, I think it would. I've thought like really hard about like the different like just for an MVP, I could use like a paint roller thing and like put yeah. the the roll on the paint roller at the end of my desk as like the axle and just roll up on each end and. I yeah,
0: what, I mean, I like the. I love the sound of like a big, a big swath of it, so it can be like really wide. Yeah. And I like the idea of like your history is retained because you're just yes. kind of rolling it That's onto the other, the other roller. So like, even if you never go look at it, you're like, you just have that like comfort of like, okay, I know I yeah. could go back. It's in there. Yep. And when you want a new, when you're ready for a new thing, you just like roll, 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 roll big, blank, wide sheet of beautiful yeah. opportunity. Dude, this it's- is great. It's awesome, you make and this. you get
1: the little tea uh, mug like circle stains, and then and then you roll it, and then they're all you gone. It on. It's like, yeah, it's it's beautiful. So th- I actually did, yeah. All right, let's do it. We'll we'll do it. We'll make it. We'll I'll get Ugh Monk to make you it. You make it. Uh, yeah, Ugmonk, yeah,
0: exactly. This is an Ugh Monk <laughs> product. All day. <laughs> they'll,
1: yeah, they'll do that, and that'll be great. So that I mean, really gets to the heart of of most of work for me is like everything is very free form because I okay. think that's my personality. Um, so having a free forms. So now it's a notebook. So now it's a notebook, yeah. And that, that works pretty much just as well. Um, so a notebook. And, uh, but I guess like what's an interesting thing that... Here's a tool that I don't do often enough. When I'm on my best behavior, I do. But I like firmly believe that this is the best way to suss out or to like explore an idea or fix a bug or pretty much anything. Write a blog post, like a publishable blog post to yourself. Mm. that you would send to somebody whose time you care about immensely. Mm. Write that blog post and you will have solved all your problems properly. Almost every, if it's a bug, I almost guarantee by the time you're finished with the blog post explaining the bug thoroughly enough, you solved it almost Mm -hmm. every time. Mm -hmm. Um, And the same goes for new features. Like I, I personally want to just jump into the code and start hacking. I want to do that. But I have to like, so I do that when I'm not on my best behavior. When I am on my best behavior, I'm rigorously writing out a blog post that I would be proud to publish. Um, mm. and That's yeah. so
0: good. I love that. Apparently, Amazon does this for new product launches. It's like they, you have to start with like, write the announcement to the customers that this thing is shipped.
1: Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Like documentation first kind of development. Yeah. The readme driven design. Readme driven design. Kind. Yeah. Yeah. All that kind of stuff really. Yeah, it's incredibly valuable. Yep. It's such inter- it's an interesting brain hack. Like, that
0: sh- it kind of feels like that shouldn't work so well. It's like, I just, like, it's, it's kind of like, it, it lets you figure it out by just like, if you just think about the end state, your brain right. is going to work backwards and figure out all these intermediate steps and make your life easier.
1: Yeah, it's like skipping the hard part is the best thing to do. Yeah it's like yeah really it's like why that that works wow like, okay skipping the part that should like reveal everything to you is actually it's like that's like more harmful P-
0: pretending you just have this magic wand and the thing is done yeah. and you just talk about it and your brain is like ah yes we know how to make this no problem yep it's yeah free that
1: i mean in that like meta concept of starting end first is like just mm-hmm. such a programming truth for me, like even down yeah. to the, the class you're about to make or the function, yeah. you know, just API first, you know, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Test
0: driven development did that for me of just being like, let's assume this is here yeah. and it works, and let's let write a test for it.
1: That's another form of that.
0: Yep, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah. I think it worked in the macro and the micro. It's just like a really powerful tool.
1: Agreed. That's one of those. I I'm always. I don't have like a perfect log of this anywhere, but I'm wondering if, if you're similar. Like I, I come across something like that in a conversation I go, "That's a fundamental truth to me. Like, as close mm. as you can get to truth is like, mm-hmm. this is something I want, you know, inscribed on my wall or something." So I'll create these at one point it was a field notes of like, core beliefs, and Ooh. like practical beliefs, not like eth- ethereal beliefs, like things like this.-huh But it never stuck. And just today. I made a new Trello column called Core Values and put in it every day is day one, like sort of the Mm. Jeff Bezos, like Amazon, Mm -hmm. like uh, whatever. I have a whole, a whole other reason for want believing in that as a core truth, but um, I don't know. I just feel like we we struck one of those chords, and you go like, oh, that's that's a big one. Don't forget that, you know. Mm,
0: Totally, Mm. yeah. Nat Friedman has a website. Has like one of the best personal websites I've ever seen. Really. And on it is something like thirty things that he believes, and it's just like Ah. bullet points in Times New Roman. And nice, it's just like a collection of those kind of core values that he's sort of distilled from his experience. And sounds like that one would be on on yours.
1: Yep, yeah, that would be on there. I mean, you, you, you didn't ask, and we didn't go there with beliefs, and we could go on a giant tangent. But another one that comes to mind that's like an age old: make the change easy, then or make the change easy, then make the easy change is like put that on my tombstone like that totally this is one that is an an undisputable truth you know Mm -hmm. Um, yeah is it that way for you as well
0: um oh yeah that's a great one yeah Yeah. and i love kent beck's i don't know if he originally formulated this but like his tweet where he says you know first make the change easy note this may be hard (laughs) yes then make the easy change i really appreciate that kind of like it's a good note by the way, <laughs> by the way, this the is hard extremely part hard. <laughs> actually, might is is likely in this first part here, right? Um, but if you can do the hard part, then you know the next thing is easy. Um, I like yeah. that a lot because so I I the nice thing about making the change easy is that it looks like a really clean refactoring pull request. Hmm. It's just like I you, I can start with just one piece of it and just say like, all right, the first thing I'm going to do is make this change easy, and so to do that. I'm going to pull these three th- three separate things that would need to change into one place. Yeah. And then that's its own PR and the code base is now likely better regardless of whether I now make the easy change or not. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it 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 is a beautiful thing and I I've like I try to remind myself that at times that like I should, you know, when I make the change easy, I should ship making the change easy before I make the easy change cuz actually just yeah. straight up tagging a release in between those two Mm. makes you feel more confident about it It, and it gives you an opportunity to to really like vet out any bugs that might it yeah it takes something that was like really kind of daring and turns it into two reasonable steps a refactor that maintains you know like parity and then a new addition that isn't dangerous because the infrastructure is already in place, you know?
0: Yeah, and it's easier for, like, a reviewer to look at and be like, okay, there should be zero behavior changes here. No test should fail. Nothing should be new. Nothing should be different. I'm just looking at this code and making sure, like, it used to work like this. It still works just like this. And that's a pretty easy PR to review. And then now you make the easy change. It's like, well, this is an easy change. This is easy to think about, too. I can just see you're just changing this one place where you you pulled all the stuff into one place, and now you're changing it in that one place looks good to me and they're e- both individually easy to review changes if you jam them together uh it gets more more tricky you're more like yes. stuff, i think
1: it, it's funny because it doesn't it's like takes one really tricky thing like a pull request that changes everything and does something big and turns it in it takes one dangerous thing and turns it into two safe things instead of mm-hmm. two less dangerous things you know in a mm-hmm. sense like it just feels like that which is like asymmetric in some way that I think is cool. Um, Totally. And rings of truth, you know? Mm, (laughs) It's like... More
0: values, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Nice. Uh, On that, just randomly to just totally blow that one up, these truths, to me, like, almost always have applications outside of programming if they're, like, big truths like that. Mm -hmm. And, like, cigarette smoking, like, if you just try to quit but you still hang out with smokers, like, it's just really hard. But, like... If you make the change easy and fire all your smoker friends, I don't know what, it's a bad example. Like, mm-hmm. now it's really easy to quit smoking or something, you know, things like that. That's like, this really is a core truth to apply to that's life in so many ways. Change yeah. your environment, you know.
0: Totally. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I like the idea of, like, when faced with a complicated, like a, a tough thing, asking first, like, what would make this easy? Yes, if something were like what would be what could be true that would make this thing easy absolutely and maybe just do that and then it's not so scary you're not like well i'm not quitting smoking i'm just i'm setting myself uh, up
1: for i'm changing my environment
0: yeah i'm just gonna throw this pack away and i'm gonna not make i'm gonna make different plans on this time when i normally would do it or whatever it is right
1: or ridiculous things like what what could be true that would make me stop smoking like let's say i uh didn't have access to cigarettes or something like because i'm on a camping trip i don't know it's Mm -hmm. like I could take that camping trip. Or traveling, like let's yeah. say, or, or let's say you're like, you hide cigarettes from your dad or something. Go on a trip with your dad. You know, I don't know. Like mm-hmm. if you need yeah, to yeah. not smoke for two weeks, like book that trip. That, that will make that an impossibility. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I, yep. That's a very specific it. example, but it, it applies to, I think you put it perfectly. Is like, what's the thing that's, that's hard that you're trying to do? Like if what could be true that would make it easy? what does it take to make that thing true? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. All right. So
0: what's, so on your desk, you're getting, you're getting work done. You're flowing. You have yeah. a notebook yeah. these days. Do you have a notebook brand or type that you're like really into?
1: I, I forget where I read this. Oh, uh, this YouTuber guy, I'm not going to remember his name. He's like a entrepreneurship YouTuber guy and he's like puck-up pads. And so I was like, I just needed a brand to latch onto for a notebook. So I yeah. just chose this guy's brand and, he believes in them and thinks they're spiritually amazing. And so I was like, somebody thinks this is like a holy book. So I'll just buy the Puck a pad.
0: <laughs> okay. Great. Are you yeah. a pen person? Have you, have you sweated pen, the pen yeah. details?
1: Uh Oh, I mean, I've like, I've gotten into that a little bit. Um, but I always go back to just who cares. But got it. Yeah. There's that, that one pen that like, you probably know it. I don't, know, maybe it's Zebra or it's some kind of pen don't that people who cares about pens
0: if, if, cares? It's, if you're not passionate about it
1: stop i'm not passionate about it
0: no. great don't care then um in general how are you getting yourself into the zone when you want to like when you like you know you've got a block of time you got a big meaty thing to work on What does your like on-ramp into productivity look like
1: um tea like mm. some sort of caffeine but tea for me mm-hmm. um morning or night and
0: really yeah you're fine
1: yeah, morning, night, or weekend, you know, just Anytime. when everybody else is not working, for some reason, I'm, like, more... Oh, prepared. like,
0: early morning, late night, yeah, 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 yeah. weekend. Gotcha. Not, yeah, like, midday. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 of, no, 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 no. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah.
1: I mean, that's that. But I, I guess the only... If I'm excited about it, then it's really easy to focus. If I'm not, I need accountability. So I'll, like, live stream, and that, like, I'll have, like, three hours of focused deep work against my will that's really good Mm. for the thing, you know? (laughs) Like pair (laughs) programming it does that.
0: (laughs) Totally. That was my thought. Yeah. It's like live streaming is kind of like pair like pairing with a bunch of people at once.
1: It captures the value of pairing for me. Like the value is less in the ideas I cook up with the other person, which is valuable. It's the accountability and and I'm a one man band, so I can't like just hang out with coworkers. So streaming kind of accomplishes that.
0: Nice. That that makes a lot of sense. Yeah i i was so I've streamed
1: programming a couple times okay and i
0: was I was pleasantly surprised at how it made it feel less lonely
1: oh yeah I, yeah it's great the my only complaint with it is it does force it takes such intense focus that it's like sometimes similar to pairing, I'm like, ah, I'd rather just like sit back in my chair and lazily work on something, you know <laughs> yeah totally but, but yeah it's it it is a communal experience um yeah.
0: It's a good. Nice. One. How do you feel about testing? What's your stance on tests?
1: Um, yeah, I I am not sure. I sometimes I write code bases with no tests and I just have a bug tracker and it's like like the Livewire docs are sort of an app. They have like payments and logins and stuff and I don't have any tests and I'm fine with that cuz if it's simple enough and I ship a bug, it shows up in the bug tracker. I fix it in a minute. Um, but for like Livewire itself, I th- honestly think The test suite, I know that the test suite is more valuable to me than the code itself. Um, And I believe that wholeheartedly. So Mm -hmm. sometimes I'm like a testing, TDDing, yeah, I'm not sure, you know. But man, like a solid test suite. For me, that's acceptance tests because they're full stack frameworks. So I have like uh, Selenium type tests and one Cypress and the other. But yeah, like literally browser tests um, for a lot of it that are slow and suck. But uh, every failing or every bug that gets submitted, like... It always starts with a failing test. Like that's probably the most valuable like workflow improvement I've made along the line. Um, yeah. Why do you value the
0: tests more than the code itself?
1: Yeah, because like the code. Uh, <laughs> maybe this is why. Like it, for re like I rewrote Livewire, and the only way I was able to do that is because I had the test suite. And when I, it, it gives me the freedom to do what I want with the code because I I resent the code a lot of times, you know, <laughs> and it's like the only thing that gives me salvation from this resentment is these tests that allow me to change the code, you know, and I don't care if the tests suck. Like it doesn't really matter. What matters is do they give me assurance that, that if I ship this thing, it's not going to break everybody's apps, you know? Yeah. So, and they do that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So if you deleted all the code, you could reconstitute it.
1: I could reconstitute the code. You
0: can make the tests pass again. If you delete all, delete all the tests, tougher to get those
1: back. Way harder. There's yeah. all th- those get built up over years of people mm-hmm. finding edge cases that aren't me, that aren't in the happy path. That, you know, mm-hmm. that that's what it is. Yeah, that's the real value. Yeah. Yep,
0: that makes sense. Yeah, if you had to lose one, I would I'd go the same way. Yeah. Yeah, I that's so funny. I haven't thought about
1: that, but like, if you have to pick one, I would mm-hmm. pick the tests. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and like. I feel like most. I think a lot of programmers would be fairly delighted to learn that they all the code has been deleted, and and (laughs) now all they need to do is make all these tests pass. Right. Yes. Like these high-level acceptance tests in particular. Unit tests, uh, kind of annoying. You're you're cramming. Unit tests can be
1: annoying. Yes.
0: But if you give me high-level tests and I just need to make these go green, oh man, absolutely. One by one, baby. Let's go.
1: Yeah, that's the dream. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. it's interesting i so i I, i've talked about this that phenomenon before about how it's like oh yeah given the test you can you can make the code but given the code you can't make the tests and then i caught myself now in 2024 like wondering like how true is that still Uh. because i think i could feed some code to various ai tools and be like give me some tests and are they going to catch the edge cases Mm, maybe uh, probably not like the the gnarlier ones, or like the oh man on Windows right. with this setting, this thing fails. So like yeah, you're not going to get all that detail back. But I think there's more of the ability now to like I could I could create the tests from the code in a way I couldn't before.
1: That's it's you're you're probably right to a degree, but I would imagine like Livewire like Tuple is something that is so. Ex, like integrated in the experience of use it's not just like a package that you're calling methods on that has like very clear ins and outs it's like oh yeah these are there's a 10 zillion scenarios that no llm is going to suss out at least right now you know right. um, but yeah i don't know but I, right. yeah. it's an interesting point that it probably is getting less and less true but i think it's still pretty freaking true yeah. yeah
0: i mean I would, I would still rather delete the code than the tests yeah. even, even yes. today still
1: Yep. Yeah. Huh. Um I have a question for you, Ben. Hit me. And this this question goes better if you were like a day-to-day programmer. So I am actually curious to hear like to what level you still code, if any. But when I like in my career I made a change from being like a systems, like information systems developer in Laravel apps, like very typical stuff like maybe you at ThoughtBot, like just Rails apps kind of thing, um, to being like a systems programmer, like bespoke systems like with these frameworks you know like how do you write uh, a tree walker and uh, you know all of these things that are not just databases and controllers and whatever and I found it to like breathe new life into my career and and expose all these new loves for programming and I just wonder if you found a similar transition into working on a non-typical app like the only typical part of tuple is like the app your user account you know everything else right. is like a bespoke system so is that just is that amazing for you yeah so you're right that tuple is not like a not like the, the apps
0: that we had worked on before so i have two co-founders all three of us were rails de- rails developers Uh-oh. and then we realized we had to build we, we tried a few prototypes and realized like okay the thing that gives us the control and performance we want is a c plus plus desktop app yeah. that's doing all these real-time things right. real-time audio video data channels that sort of thing um, and uh, <laughs> fortunately or not for me uh, it was kind of clear that like we shouldn't have three people coding on this thing up like and no one doing sales and marketing uh-huh. so because I had the audience it's like all right I'm gonna do sales and marketing mm. and so I like wrote the first version of the rails backend that the app talks to um, but then like I haven't I didn't sling any of the C++. Okay. So I I didn't get to make that transition.
1: Do you regret that? Like, is there a part of you that, or is it just like, no, that's what had to be done and I'm glad? Or is there a part of you that's like, man, I I was like, I was an equal programmer, but now I'm like the business, I'm the business guy that I used to work with that doesn't understand that and has to like trust these devs and such, you know? Um, I wouldn't say I regret it. No, um, yeah. I think it was very
0: much the right call for the business. Yeah. Um personally i miss programming a bit um like i feel rusty with some of these concepts we're talking about or like i haven't touched the new things and i'm like and like you know javascript is a big mystery to me and and like sort of newer paradigms i haven't played around with so there's part of me that feels a little bit of like personal sadness around that fact yeah um but i think if you have three co-founders having all three do programming is probably not the right answer yeah and the and like I like the other stuff too. Like I really enjoyed like figuring out how to do sales, figuring out how to do marketing, yep. doing product, talking to customers, making choices about how it should work, and it felt like I was in like my kind of zone of genius there. Cool. Um, and I before tuple, I had kind of gotten to the point where I was like, I've been programming for like twelve years or something at that point, okay. and I had gotten pretty good. And it felt like I was at like, you know, diminishing returns in terms of like continuing to get better. It was like I could get better, but it was like I was already a 8 out of 10 programmer or something. Sure. And I was like a 3 out of 10 at like other aspects of running a software company. Yeah. And I was like, I'd rather lift those skills up and like figure out how to get good at that rather than get like a bit better at programming, which is going to take actually quite a bit of effort now, given
1: where I'm at. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a great answer and I, I can identify with that uh somewhat myself and i think that's um yeah yeah that's really cool and makes a lot of sense uh, do you find that the business problems and sales problems and such are like just as intellectually satisfying like solving these puzzles and cracking them open no. and whatnot <laughs> <laughs> generally no generally yeah. no okay uh,
0: you can't be programming for brain stimulation and yeah. like flow state uh-huh like when you know you got a big chunk of time and like an interesting programming problem and you've kind of like figured out some of it in your head and like you're like ready to go after it nothing for me like makes the hours fly by like getting yeah. like really into the code and i don't right. i get some of that from writing if i'm doing like longer form writing i can like that will get me in the in flow state um, eventually okay. uh but most of the other stuff not quite yeah so i think so, so programmers got it good in in that way i would say
1: true yep I definitely, I could see that. And, and any of like the business salesy stuff in my life, it's like engaging and, you know, rewarding, but it's, it's like, um, when you're working on like a system or something with like a really slow feedback loop where like every deploy takes like two hours and you have to get it through Q and A three times. It's like, there's so much cruft that it disrupts that flow. And it, to me, like, that process is so like that. It's so nebulous. The feedback loops are slow. The, you know, it's just, it's like not um, conducive to that constant stimulation, flow, state, problem solving loop that is programming or can be programming so often.
0: Totally. Yeah. Especially with tests. Like, because I, w- I was pretty into TDD, I wrote most of my code with test driven development. Yep. And so it's like, you're getting that constant, like, here's what's wrong. Okay, it works now. Here's yeah. what's wrong. Okay, it works now. And it's just like all these, like you know, little, uh, Dopamine hits like a hundred times an hour as opposed to occasionally.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Funny that that you describe like passing tests as dopamine hits. And there is like, there is some dopamine drip when you physically see that green. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's funny. There is like something really beautiful about the color green when you're programming, <laughs> you know?
0: And like the slot machine has like lit up for you. It's like you yeah. tried and didn't work. You tried, didn't work. Oh, wait. Oh, oh I see. Hold on. Okay, there. It's it's, great. Okay,
1: got it. Right, I want. I've always found it interesting, like the thought process before you hit that test run, especially if you're doing it like very quickly. Like I think you have like a sense for, like I think developers get pretty good at predicting if, like, what percentage chance this test is going to pass or fail. You know, Mm. Mm -hmm. like you just have this sense you can almost not even describe. That's like, "Ah, I'm not. I think this time it's gonna, or like, "Mm, like I'm gonna make this fix, but. I don't believe it's going to fix it, but you still have to mm. try it. You know, I don't know. And like, mm-hmm. even when I'm pairing with people, I find myself doing that where I'm like, before we run this test, is it going to pass? You know, I don't know.
0: Yeah. I feel like I actually, my my guess would be that I have a pretty high accuracy on predicting tests. Yeah. Pass or fail. Because I'm usually not very far from it passing,
1: I think. Gotcha. Because you're close you're following like the development closely with the tests so
0: I would say so yeah like I don't write like 10 tests and then go like write some code and see what happens and be yeah. like I wonder if three of these will pass it's more like okay we need to now handle the situation where there are no orders in the list and we should show this message so let, let me and I know we don't handle this yet so I read the test I know it's gonna fail it does it fails the right way it gives me the error I expect I'm like okay cool let me I need to handle this and then I'm like I think we've handled it and then sometimes I'm wrong like oh actually something was a a little bit off, but I would say most of the time I can sort of, I know if I'm about to go red or green.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you this unrelated question on, on your own interview podcast, Ben, are there, (laughs) are there any radical things that you institute at Tupole on the development side? Are there any places where you guys say like, like it, that you guys are different in some sense or, or really radical in your adherence to some practice? I would Nothing is immediately coming to mind. I would
0: say sort of, sort of two, two things that I wouldn't say radical but are a bit different than what I'm used to. One is that we actually have manual QA testing. So we have a test suite cool. for the app, yeah. but there's enough pieces and weirdness yeah. and sort of like impossible to create state um, programmatically or challenging to create that we have found value from having someone manually run through a checklist of the app. Yep. Um, and the other is that I've never actually seen so many little prototypes get created. Um, Interesting, I, I think this might be because the app itself is fairly large and fairly complex, and so often to try a new interaction out or a new little bit of functionality, it f- seems more approachable or it's we get a faster uh, time to feedback by doing a little play version of it that is yeah. in its own repo with like no constraints.
1: yeah, I mean that that is seems like another one of those just really good buttons to hit in development, like, really good practices to have is, like, code that you intend to throw away where you're Mm -hmm. just, you know, exploring. Um, Yeah, proof of concepts, prototypes. It's definitely one of the, it's, like, seems so obvious, but it's something that I don't often reach for, and then when I do, I go, why don't I do this for everything? Like, why don't, you can get so far in a single day with no constraints and, you know, just playing around and really, like, you know, expose a lot of the complexity that this thing will have or the I don't know. So totally. did you guys have to like, do, do you systematize that in some way that like, do you just all remember that, oh, this should be a prototype or, you know?
0: Yeah. I think it's, I know. I think it feels like it's part of the culture now that's where cool. it it happens fairly automatically. There, I don't think there's any dick, like no dictates that say like, you must do this. Right. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Is that, is that the way a, a lot of it is, is just like things get embedded in the culture because they're good ideas. And then that's how good ideas continue. Or do you have to like set, good ideas bake good ideas in somehow or is that like a challenge
0: i don't i've never thought about it systematically like that so i don't i don't i don't think we have like a thing that's like here's how we write code here like here here are the good ideas you must not forget i think it's a little bit more like probably because we pair so much i think these things like get spread around or someone will remember or it's kind of like is the part of the oral history of the how we work
1: yep yeah that's cool
0: so you review it I have to imagine a ton of pull requests. Yeah, as an um, open source maintainer.
1: I think what I'm finding is the more active I am, the more pull requests I get, and then the less active I am, the fewer I get because I think people I think people don't want to submit pull requests if they don't think that it's going to get paid attention to. Yeah. Um so lately I've been like pretty on fire with with like getting the inbox zero every day (laughs) and Mm -hmm. like it's doing horrible things to my productivity because like yesterday 11 prs got opened in one day like i woke up and it was like i have 11 new pull requests to review this morning um Mm -hmm. so anyway yeah sometimes i do a lot of code review but sometimes i go i can't do this right now i have to work on other stuff but yeah Yeah.
0: well okay so i actually want to come back to my original question because that's that that's interesting so i noticed you tweeted the other day like you have these like list of you have like a bunch of shortcuts in your Chrome new tab, yeah, in order of how you start your day, and like yeah. I want to clear all the decks here. And the first one was email, which I feel like is probably a, actually a terrible way to start your day. <laughs> actually, yeah, that was my that was my take on your tweet. Is that like this is actually not probably not a good way to start your day?
1: No, email is nothing. It, it's there because it's the easiest. I uh-huh. I, I, I yeah. used to use it's it's easy and it it almost takes me no time ever but i need to look at it in case aunt millie like wants to like have a family party or something you know
0: gotcha yeah well so uh, i saw some of myself in in this tweet because i often think all right i need to get going but first i'm going to clear all my inboxes and then i'm gonna clear my to-do inbox and then i'm gonna like hit all the things that are due today and then i'm gonna get to like the meaty project that is important for me for this this month Yep. and I often f- f- stop the day after step three. It's like, all right, I'm mm. I burn I like like wo- I spend all my energy yep. on the tending of the inboxes, right. and I almost got to the big thing that I want to work on, but I didn't. Yeah, and um, do you experience that? Like, do you? Yeah, that- how do you stay productive when you've got all this like incoming <laughs> issues and PRs and all that, and you feel like to be a good maintainer, you've got to do those, but right, they're not really what you want to do long term.
1: I-, I just want to. Clarify that like this is somebody preaching about something he he doesn't have a lot of experience with because Mm. the majority of my career is just working on the meaty stuff and letting all the stuff decay like a messy room until it's so messy that you just crush all the PRs and then do it all over again. But I'm trying to to do better and differently. So one thing that I've been trying to stick to is 11 a.m. being so. I, I was listening to Matt and Taylor on their the Laravel podcast and and Matt was like, how are you so productive? And Taylor's like, I don't even feel like I'm productive. And we're all like, dude, shut up, man. Like, you're such a liar, but whatever. Um, and he's like, "I," he's still, you know, he said this on your podcast that he goes through every, he still merges every pull request in the organization. And I've been trying to get out of that for so long. But that, it was like, a, you know what, if Taylor can do it with, 10 times as much code is more than way more than 10 times as much code as me. Like I can do it with my small repo. And so he said that he does it. Basically he, he works on all that stuff until 11am and then he starts his day for other stuff. Mm. So I thought mm. if Taylor can, can dedicate up to 11am, I can dedicate up to 11am. And so that is one prevention from this bleeding out into the rat. Re- the two things I think the first pre- prevention is having that hard stop where it's like, Nope, it's 11. I'm done. I'm not, uh, you can't sidetrack me. you know. I'm going on to this other thing. And because all those things aren't in like pinned tabs and whatever, I closed the browser window. So it's like, there's not the pull request things hanging out there. So I'm only giving you till 11 a.m. I think that's one important thing, like breaking up the sessions of your day. And then the other thing is being excited about the meaty stuff. So I'm like really amped about the meaty stuff to the point that I'm like rushing to try to get through the other stuff so I can get to the meaty stuff. And as you know, when you're like amped about something, you're going to do it, but, th- but you're never going to be amped about the maintenance. So that's why I think it just is only going to work for me to do that stuff first, because I'm never going to be amped about it. So Got I it. have to, I have to make sure that the reward is after that, you know?
0: Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. So you're eating the vegetables first.
1: I'm trying. I'm trying to eat the vegetables first.
0: Yeah. You're going to have the steak later automatically because you want it.
1: Yes. I'm not a vegetable eater, but I I was in Disney recently and this this is another thing contributing to this. Like Disney keeps up on all their old stuff so well. And I'm just Mm -hmm. like so inspired by that. And I'm so not good at that. I suck at that. So I'm like, this is this is my Hail Mary or this is my starting fresh or my everyday is day one. Is like I'm gonna reinvent myself. I'm determined to reinvent myself as somebody who cares for small details that aren't exciting to me at all, you know? Interesting.
0: Huh. I've gone the other way with that. Really? Yeah.
1: Don't tell me about it. You're Sorry. Me.
0: Tell me. Well, uh, I think I've decided that I can't make myself want something. Okay. And also that I'm at my best when I'm embracing the things that I'm good at and have passion for. Yeah, yeah. And should just kind of accept this other stuff. <laughs> and the, maybe this is... Honestly, this is kind of a luxury because you can, t- you can build a business to augment your weaknesses true so i can hire people to do those things that are don't give me joy and i'm not good at yeah Uh, and and often they're really good at it and enjoy it um uh, so there's like as a one-man band you might not you may just have to like suck it up and do that for a while but like i feel more motivated when i'm just like look i love this and this and this and i want to like spend as much time doing those things
1: yeah i generally agree with you and most of my life is spent with this belief that like, man, like swimming upstream, like just to, you know, find your unfair advantage and double down on it. Like that's, and for me, it's, it's programming and innovating and new ideas and talking and communicating and easy communication like this. Like these are all my strong suits, but you know, long form written stuff and uh, keeping up maintenance, support tickets, like pull requests, all that crappy context switchy stuff that I hate, I suck at. And I've, yeah, I guess right now I'm, okay. My, my counterpoint to what you're saying, because I have to like, I have to double down on what I'm saying so that it sticks. <laughs> Cause I like, I'm trying, I guess building a company and being able to delegate some of these things is a a big solution to it. But I'm even like, I'm wondering, this is what I'm wondering is if working on my weak suits enhances the strong ones and fills in these gaps, and like, like now because I have that discipline injected into my day, the last chunk of it is even more productive than if it was the whole chunk and I wasn't, you know, deferring that gratification or something. I don't know. It could be a weak argument, but. Um, yeah, maybe I'm just a solopreneur and right now I'm in a position where to have the company I want, I have to be good at the things I'm not good at.
0: Mm. Or at least be like willing to do them. Like or at least, yeah. Hit a tolerable level of performance there.
1: Yep. And I think it's like such a rare attribute for people to be able to do what I'm trying to do like this week and I have no proof that I'll be able to that like I see it in the 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 really successful people around me. Like I'm always, you know, picking on like Taylor and Adam and Jeffrey and these people in our community who've managed to do this. They appear to be very strong in all of these suits and it's like I'm I'm either, maybe they naturally are or aren't, but I can at least try really hard for this set of things and maybe you know, maybe that's a key here, you know? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why they make it to that extra level is because they're not only doing all that innovating, they're also answering support tickets and making sure they're at inbox zero for pull requests and caring for those small details, you know? I don't know.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: Who knows? Yeah. But mm. normally, I'm with you. Don't fight your nature. Just, like, double down on it. Use it to your advantage. Pull those big levers, you know? It's pretty nice. <laughs> but I don't know. We'll yeah. see. Yeah. Um, okay,
0: let's do a little uh, lightning round. Yeah. So I want to hit you with a bunch of questions and give me like a minute max on each of them. Okay. And don't ask me any questions. Okay. <laughs> All right. What does your dream pull request on one of your open source
1: libraries look like? Um, a documentation update that I can instantly merge. <laughs> That's my dream. Um, but uh, definitely, failing tests. Uh, small, you know, well, yeah, I don't even care so much about the description. The code should say a lot of it, but I'll just pull it down and if the test makes sense and I don't know, the smaller, the better. That's the best thing I can say. Yeah, yep.
0: tiny, tiny PRs.
1: Tiny PRs, yep. Focused, awesome. tiny, small, high value. That's that's my dream, yep.
0: Do you care about good commit messages? Not at all. Ooh, why not?
1: I, from other people, I don't care uh okay for me I, I i used to do whip i don't do whip commit messages i write like a few words like i'll say tweak this or fix test or try to just like keep it as simple as possible but provide some sort of flag um but they all get squashed in the pr and the pr description is usually or at least the title is like well written um and the release notes so i I'm, I'm pretty rarely like actually looking at individual commit messages to, to, for any information, you know?
0: Gotcha. Do you have any favorite coding books?
1: Um, yeah, I mean refactoring Martin Fowler's book is, uh, is like kind of was a Bible for me at one point. Um, and I guess another there's like a uh, making your users badass or whatever. Um, that that book was pretty impactful for me. Kathy from a, Sierra. Yeah from a maintenance perspective I read that book and that, I still think about that a lot of like making my users awesome by making them really good at the tool that I'm giving to them not just giving them the tool um, making them feel like they're wizards so that they go and they go like this thing is the best I'm awesome at it like you should learn it so yeah it's really good and Sandy Metz 99 Bottles was really impactful for me at one point. Um, a clean code was impactful you know there were things all along the journey that were really impactful but I don't know. I don't reference a lot of books anymore. I've given away most of them except for refactoring and like, that's it. Yeah.
0: What are you doing now to keep improving?
1: Um, a lot of it is like, uh, a, um, <laughs> what's that? Uh, can't Albert Hubbard and like Thoreau and the, the transcendentalists that were like very extreme, like, like in, in that the truth is within you and like find your own way and, and whatever they're like, things like that have been kind of my journey as of late is like writing my own story and finding my own best ways to do things within myself. It's a weird way of thinking about it, but it's, I've been sort of drawing in to create in original ways on my own. Um, so I'm not referencing a ton of stuff these days, but uh, improving my craft, I guess. I don't know. I probably should do more of it, but a lot of it's just internal progress, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Do you have any scripts or shell aliases that you use a lot that you find valuable?
1: Um, yeah, I, nah is I got from Jeffrey. It's like get hard reset. You know, I use that all the time, um, to just scratch everything that's not committed. That's a big one. I use a lot. Um, nah, I, I I've one called PR that just like checks out a pull request locally so that I can run the tests and work on it. Um, yeah, that's really valuable and I'm trying to think there's probably a bunch. I mean, I have a, oh, like sim linking a local repo in our package manager. So whatever. I mean, this is pretty esoteric stuff, but like doing like if I maintain a, a project, so I want to be able to use it inside of other apps like locally, um, but not get the one from like NPM kind of so. Having commands to just easily like symlink those dependencies to my local versions that I can develop on them and then test them in apps locally, like that's an annoying thing that I put into a bash alias. But um, yeah, I probably have like 15 bash bash aliases. I keep it pretty simple, but that's that's mm-hmm. the short answer. Yeah,
0: are those are your dot files public?
1: Uh, old ones are. Yeah, oh, like I did this at one point. I don't know how much I've changed since then, but I think I put up like a bash profile at one point and now now it's like a zshrc file but it yeah there's not a ton going on in there there's just a few helpful things yeah
0: gotcha anything else in the core beliefs or values about coding
1: um i my something that i've like kind of come to is i i say this is like the only two things i care about in programming is is like keeping methods small keeping functions and methods short small is probably the most valuable thing, I think, for any programmer to improve code quality. And then the other one is, I call it the single-file principle. But it's basically like, if you can keep everything... I don't really care about like, uh, like co-location, like concerns and all, you know, all these like, kind of big things, separation of concerns, separation you know, optimizing for this and that. For me, it's pretty much all about like, can I put everything related to this one thing in one file? And if I can't, can I put it in one folder? And so like LiveWire's code base, every feature has a folder and there's patterns in those folders. So it's like the tests are right in those folders too. So it's very, is like as co-located as you can make your code make it, which is often hard because things that are co-located are separate and sometimes they need to interact with each other. And that, so I use like an event system in LiveWire and that introduced a little bit of indirection. But anyway, two big programming philosophies are the single file principle or just like single folder whatever keep it in one file so when you need to go change that thing you just go oh i go to that file and the change lives in here somewhere you know or if i want to rewrite it just rewrite that one file and then keeping methods short it's like the two big things yeah
0: yeah so if you if you're using the single file or single folder thing let's say you like you like you decide you want to delete a feature you're like actually this is a bad idea yeah you delete that folder not almost nothing else changes gone that's everything
1: so livewire and alpine Every single directive and pretty much every feature, you can comment out the one line that includes it, like that references that, like in JavaScript, it's like import this file. You can pretty much just comment out any of the APIs and everything else still works. So I separate the code bases into the core machinery that can't be changed and then all the features. And I try to really make, yeah, so that make it as removable as possible. But that that is a goal and I can do that. I've achieved that with both of the rewrites. Those were the big motivations, yeah. Mm-hmm. Why are short methods good? Short methods are good. I mean, they're good for readability, but I think they... The, I, ultimately, they're really great for readability. But I think they just result in better architectures because you identify points of reusability and, and like, extraction so much better than when everything is, is like, in a pile. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just one of those things that, to me feels like you can turn your bad code into good code simply by making a bunch of small methods. Like it almost is universally true for me. I don't know. How do you start trying to understand a piece of code you haven't seen before? Uh, First I pull it down and like I have to touch it. Um, I can't just like read it on GitHub. I could do that a little bit, but Mm. it's annoying for me to pull stuff down, but I know it's the secret to success. Like I have to pull the thing down because then I'm in the context and then I can touch it. So if I can open the file and, and look at it and especially interact with it, that's really good. Um, running the tests is good. I use Step Debugger in the front end. Uh, I use, like, Chrome Step Debugger a lot. But, but yeah, I I guess it's just, like, um, it's really bouncing around to different modes of of um, of interaction until one of them gives me the understanding I'm looking for. It's, like, I start with just scanning. Oh, ah, that didn't do it. Pull it down. Run the test. Start with that. You know, ah, that didn't do it. You know, it's, like, sort of dig into the different depths until one of them sticks. Yeah,
0: mm. Got it. You recently rewrote a large project. And yeah. it seems like it went well. It seems like yeah. it achieved your goals and you're happy with that. Yep. What, is your, what is your take on rewrites now and your advice for other people considering them?
1: Um, if you're your own boss and you can afford it and it'll make you happy and happiness is important to your business, that's all the things that were true for me. I need to love the code base I'm working in, so I just decided... Well, screw it. I'm just going to do it. Um, but for most applications and businesses and whatnot, it doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, pretty often, and so I I'd like would probably caution people, tell people to like do everything but a rewrite, and then like that's like the very last thing you should do. And if you do do it, like do a base camp style new version of your product that you can market, so that business is amped about the rewrite too, and it's not just like a giant waste of resources to them. Um, yeah, that's good. Awesome.
0: Uh, anything we didn't talk about that you wanna cover you feel passionate about? I don't
1: think so, Ben. I mean I'm pretty passionate about everything, so we could be <laughs> here all day. I think we covered we covered some ground and and had some good chats, yeah.
0: We did. Uh I'm really glad you came on. This is this is great.
1: Nice. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ben. I, yeah, I was agree. A pleasure.
0: Is there any anywhere you want to send people? How do we support you as a as a developer and human?
1: Um Twitter is where I hang out. So follow me on Twitter, most important thing. Um Yeah. I I sell screencasts for stuff I make, and if you use the stuff I make, buying the screencasts is the best thing you could do for me, and I appreciate that. Yeah. Cool. Awesome.
0: Well, thanks for coming on.
1: Yep. Thanks for having me, Ben. See,
0: see ya. See
1: ya.